May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It's so fun. It's so awesome to be back here. Golly, let me begin by saying that it's just a joy and privilege to worship with you, and I want to thank Philip for the invitation. I've missed you folks for the season in which I'm serving at another St. James Church. It all gets very confusing uh, which St. James I'm, I'm, I'm at, but I'm grateful for the, rec- for the new rector's invite. And I want to say, uh, I'm just getting to know Philip, but I'm even more grateful to God that you have this particular new rector and that your search committee and your vestry and the whole community has embraced him as someone who clearly has the heart of a leader, who loves this community and loves our Lord. And so that's just really awesome um, because I've been with you through the various moments of transition, and it's so great to come back and see this place uh, set on, a, on this new wonderful course. Um, my kids tell me I have limited material, and I know I've said this a whole bunch before, but it's been said that the preacher should have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And I read this week in the newspaper that the Florida legislature is promoting a law that forbids teaching about history that might cause young people to feel discomfort about the history of our country. Now, I'm not here to debate the merits or motivation for that law. I'm glad to do that offline. It did make me think about how our culture and how, me, how I personally value being comfortable with so much, um, which can be really an avoidance of any challenge or a reluctance to look at the ways that maybe I need to grow or be different. Uh, change is not our strong suit, and that may be particularly a gift of the Anglican Episcopal tradition. Uh, reminds me that we need to tap into the wisdom of Dilbert, who said, change is good, you go first. (laughs) In my work with Episcopal congregations, which is one of the things that I do when I'm not here, we have found a goodly number of congregations who fit into a particular category or archetype, which we have labeled complacent. They are pretty comfortable right where they are, thank you very much. One church got the feedback that they were a complacent church, that that was their profile. And with tongue-in-cheek, they called me up and they said they were going to change their tagline. They would now be St. Swithin's Church. We are spiritually shallow and fine with that. (laughs) And this parish has been through a period of transition which can make folks feel uncomfortable. Just say, hypothetically, a new leader arrives Um, That person might, on occasion, hear those six words which strike terror in the heart of all clergy. We've never done it that way. Now, I'm not going to ask Philip if he's run into that yet, but folks, be merciful. (laughs) Thoughts about what it means to be comfortable reminded me of what's been said about the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus. Jesus came to bring comfort to the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And the fourth chapter of Luke gives us both. As Philip pointed out uh, last week, we're kind of in the middle of a biblical mini-series. 
The story you heard last Sunday is only half the story. In last week's gospel, we eavesdrop on Jesus preaching in his home synagogue, his inaugural sermon, his way of talking about what was most important to him. He speaks of those in need of God's loving, liberating, life-giving power. He brings comfort to the afflicted, sight to the blind, release to captives, and we all want to hear that news whether we have literally or figuratively met those challenges. The sermon goes great, but that's not the end of the story. Today we read how that quickly changed folks got so mad at Jesus they try to throw him off a cliff. Now I've had negative comments about sermons, but never anything quite like that, at least not yet. Um, what, what was it that made the crowd change so quickly? Something made them profoundly uncomfortable. Jesus unsettles those, his hometown people, who imagined that they pretty much had it all together. He challenges folks who thought they had an inside track, an attitude common among religious folks who easily retreat to our bubbles, communities of agreement and predictability. And as this hometown crowd wonders about who Jesus thinks he is, we knew this kid growing up, Jesus talks about how outsiders, how outsiders may just see things more clearly than those who've been at this spiritual journey for a long time. He tells two Old Testament stories, a widow, an outsider who received God's grace, a foreign soldier who received God's healing. And this hometown crowd will have none of it. I can hear them say, we don't pay preachers to make us uncomfortable. Now, don't get me wrong. We find tidings of comfort and joy throughout the Bible. Psalm 119 says, this is my comfort in my trouble. Your promise gives me life. When I remember your judgments of old, O oh Lord, I take great comfort. The prophet Isaiah predicts the arrival of the Messiah with these words, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Jesus promised a Holy Spirit who would come to us as comforter, literally one who comes alongside. But it struck me this week that being comforted and being comfortable are not always the same thing. The same Jesus who turns over tables in the temple, who labels religious leaders, the clergy of his day, blind guides and whited sepulchers makes us wonder what caused people to pound nails into the flesh of Jesus' hands and feet. It wasn't because he made them comfortable. Jesus was no ancient Near Eastern version of Mr. Rogers. Jesus asks each one of us, how do we need to grow? Where do we need to change? What have we left undone? Who have we left out of our circle? What do we need to leave behind? Gospels tell us Jesus was the light of the world, and that's what the season of Epiphany is all about. He sheds light on dark pathways, comforting us in fear, showing us the way. But light also has this way of shining on things we may not want to look at. Then we come to the season of Lent with questions about the direction we're headed, whether we need to change course. The churchy word for that is repentance. I think of Lent as a kind of spiritual GPS, asking us whether we need to recalculate, asking questions like, what are the things in your life and mine that we'd rather not look at? 
What are things in our common life as church folk? Are there reasons we should be made uncomfortable, ways in which Jesus becomes our holy uncomforter? Now, to get the ball rolling, I'm thinking we should all be a little uncomfortable that in our country, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is still the most racially segregated hour in the week. And I'm so glad to hear this church is beginning another round of sacred ground. It's a wonderful and challenging series that invites us to explore the history of race relations. It shines light on things that I was never taught in school. And it has, I've been working on it with my church, the church in New York, and it has repeatedly made me profoundly uncomfortable. But as Desmond Tutu taught us, that kind of truth-telling is key to reconciliation. Beyond the issue of race, that's just one example. I have never run across a church that didn't say it was welcoming, but I sometimes feel that many churches are not as good as they claim to be at being welcoming. Um, and a woman I met in my journeys around the church resisted the way I described the need for the church to reach out to practice evangelism, to invite and welcome new folks. She said, I don't know why you talk about this so much, Jay. Everyone in town who ought to be Episcopalian already is. <laughs> really, I didn't make that up. I remember a young woman I met on the street in front of the church when I served in New York. She looked up at these grand doors and said, am I allowed to go in there? Am I allowed to go in there? And I wondered what message had we been sending to the wider community? Jesus comes to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, as John's gospel says, he comes bringing grace and truth, and we need both those things. This two-part gospel, this mini-series, Philip got the fun part, um, this mini-series tells us that Jesus comforting the afflicted is only half the story. Jesus' love for us, for this community, is so deep that he meets us where we are but refuses to leave us there as he calls us to be part of the healing of the world, to be his hands and feet. And that healing process begins with us and begins inside of us. And from my point of view and my own journey of faith, that has not always been so comfortable. In the end, I believe that the church is not primarily about making people comfortable. The church is about forming us into the image of Jesus, making us Christ-like people, a Christ-following community. That can be, that process can be uncomfortable, but that's okay because we are not alone in this effort. Struck me as I read this story that in the same way that Jesus walked through a crowd wanting to throw him off a cliff, in the same way Jesus walked out of the tomb on Easter morning, overcome the worst that people could dish out. In the same way, he walks with us. He stretches out arms of love to draw us into his saving embrace and his healing embrace, shaping us into his image, allows us to find comfort in sharing his life and love. Amen.